Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So this summer, we have been looking at all these different topics, what Jesus said about things like religion, about forgiveness, about um, worry, about all of these things. And uh, today, we're wrapping that whole series up with what I think is the best way to wrap the whole thing is, what did he say about himself? Um, There is no doubt that there is no one who has impacted the course of human history like this Jesus of Nazareth. Um, your calendar, okay? Every, all of human history, all of recorded human history centers around and pivots around his life. It's divided into B.C. and A.D., before him and after him. Um, even that high-tech smartphone that you're using to take notes on today, okay? Even on that high-tech smartphone, the calendar on there still has a date that reflects his life 2,015 years ago. There is no one that has impacted life on this earth and human history like Jesus Christ. Now, what is remarkable, most remarkable about that is that his, his impact and his influence on our lives has grown over the last 2,000 plus years. And that's not typical. See, typically, when somebody, um, when somebody dies, their, their influence and their impact starts to fade away right away. I mean, we have, you know, history lessons about all these people, but, but their influence or practical influence on everyday life just continues to fade and fade away. I mean, think about, think about just the, the um, celebrities that you've known over maybe your lifetime. I read somewhere, um, someone wrote, do you realize that 12 years ago we had Bob Hope, we had Johnny Cash, and we had Steve Jobs, and now we have no jobs, no cash, and no hope. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I know. Um, actually, last night after our Saturday night service, someone came up to me and says, that's why I'm praying for Kevin Bacon. Because I don't want to live in a world without bacon, okay? <laughs> I know, that's okay. okay. Um, but that's what's amazing is his impact and his influence continues to this day. In fact, it has increased and it has grown over the years. And in fact, it's the reason why we, along with millions and millions of other people, have gathered just like in groups like this, just like this, all around this globe this whole weekend to learn from his teachings, to celebrate his life and his death and his resurrection, to worship him as Lord and Savior. No one has impacted this world like Jesus did. And so it's really important to know who was this guy? What did he say about himself. About 2,000 years ago or so, Jesus gathered his followers together, his closest 12. It's about the middle of his ministry with them. And he sat down with them and he asked them two questions. It's recorded in Matthew's gospel. If you want to turn there, it's Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 is where I'm going to read from. It says that when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. Those two questions are pivotal pivotal for every one of us. 
There is abundant historical evidence of the existence of this man named Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. We have tons of historical evidence of his living on this earth. The real question is, who was he? And not just what do other people say about him. Who do you say he is? Who do I say he is? Because the answer to that question will change your life. A number of years ago, an author by the name of C.S. Lewis, um, who was actually an agnostic at the time, actually decided he was going to look into the life of Jesus. And so he spent a great deal of time studying the life of Jesus, pouring through the Gospels, trying to understand him. And, and he came through, through all, of his, all of his studies, he came to a point where he realized he had to make a decision about this man. And he came to this point where, where he decided that he needed to put his faith and his trust in Jesus. And from all of his study and all of his research, he wrote a book. He called it Mere Christianity. And in there he said, you know, what? I've studied it all down and I broke it all down. It seems to me it comes down to three options. When you look at what Jesus did, when you look at what he said about himself, when you take it all into account, it seems to me it comes down to three options. Either he was a liar and he pulled off the greatest hoax in this world, or he was a lunatic, a madman, sincere maybe, but totally delusional, or he was who he said he was, son of God, savior of the world. So you might be here today and you would consider yourself a wholehearted follower of Jesus. You might be here today, and you're just in that beginning of the investigative process. You're not sure what you believe about this guy. But you've heard about him, and it's, and it's brought you maybe here today because you want to find out more. And maybe you're somewhere in between all of that. It's my hope today that as we look at and Jesus said a lot of things about himself. We're just going to narrow in on what I think are the three most critical. And it's my hope and prayer that by the end of the day, you're going to come to a point where you realize you've got to make a decision. You've got to answer that question for yourself. Who is he to you? What did he say about himself? Well, first thing is that he claimed to speak God's words. In John 14, it's recorded, he said this, The words that I say are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Verse 24, he says, These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Now, Jesus was not the first person to ever claim to speak on God's behalf. In fact, the, Judaism is, is rich with, um, with prophetic, prophetic messengers, okay? Most of the Old Testament is, is the prophets. It's, in fact, there were so many of them, they're actually divided into group, two groups, the major prophets and the minor prophets. There were many people, the history is, is rich with people speaking on behalf of God, but nobody spoke like Jesus did. Because when Jesus spoke on behalf of God, he referred to him as my father. And no one would ever do that. No God-fearing Jew would ever refer to God as my father. He is too holy for that. In fact, no one would dare speak his name because it was considered that his name who represented him was so holy it could not be spoken by, by human lips. And even, even the Old Testament writings, they didn't write out the name of God. When you see that in your translation, it says God or Lord. That wasn't there. They, they, didn't, they didn't even write out the full name because they felt it would, be, it would be wrong to even write out his name. So what we have is they left out all of the consonants. All we have are the vowels. 
J-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H, Jehovah or Yahweh. That's our best understanding, but nobody really knows how it's pronounced because nobody would speak it and nobody would write it. And that Jesus would come along and he would speak on behalf of God, speak on behalf of God saying, my father, that would be unheard of. And the people that listened to him speak, they saw something different. It said those who heard, the people who heard him were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. See, the teachers of the law, they would teach about God, but they would teach with footnotes, okay? Remember footnotes? Remember research papers, high school, college age? Remember all of those little abbreviations? Do you remember? Anybody remember doing those? Okay. Anybody remember what those actually stand for? No, one or two English teachers, okay? Nobody else has a clue anymore. Okay, that's how most of the teachers of the law would teach. They would cite and quote other rabbis, other teachers who were considered to be much more authoritative, much more knowledgeable, much more educated. And so they would say things, well, Rabbi Hillel says, and then they would quote Rabbi Hillel. Or they would quote Rabbi Shammai says, and they would quote Rabbi Shammai, or whoever it was. Because the feeling was if you could quote somebody with a higher authority and recognize with better education and better understanding, that gave credence to what you were talking about. That's what I do when I preach. I quote all kinds of other people who are smarter and brighter and more knowledgeable than I am. Because maybe that gives some authority to what I'm saying. Um, But we do that because we recognize that there are people who know more than we do. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus spoke with the authority that what he said was truth and to be accepted at face value. He was challenged on that, by the way. Who do you think you are speaking on God's behalf? And this is what Jesus said to those religious leaders. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the father who sent me. He claimed to be speaking God's words. So, If you come down to C.S. Lewis's three options, either he is a liar and nothing that he said is really believable or trustworthy and should totally be ignored. Because even if he spoke truth half the time, you don't know what it was that he said was true and what he said was a lie. So if he's a liar, you really can't trust anything that he said. And you ought to just shove it all away. Or he was a lunatic And his teachings were just the rantings of a madman and certainly nothing that you would want to base your life on. Or if he was who he said he was, the son of God, Lord and Savior, then that means that everything that he said is true. Everything that he said is trustworthy. And it is to be believed and trusted and obeyed. See, that's the thing. If everything that Jesus said is true then that means you don't get to pick and choose what parts you like. And that's what we tend to do. Well, I like what Jesus said about love and mercy and grace, but I don't like what he said about repentance, okay? (laughs) I I like this part, but I'm not going to pay much attention. No, no, you you don't get that choice. If he spoke truth, then everything that he said is true, which means that it is reliable and he knows what is best for our lives. And the best thing we could do for our own lives would be to obey. Now, Claiming to speak God's words, that's one thing. But he did something more than that. He also claimed to be doing God's work. At the very beginning of his ministry, before anything else, he he came back to his hometown. He was by that time uh, recognized as a rabbi. 
And on Sabbath, he went to the, to, uh, the synagogue. Uh, yeah, synagogue. They went together, and, and he was a visiting rabbi. And so um, he was invited to be kind of the guest speaker that Saturday morning. And so he got there. They gave him the scroll Isaiah, from the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And this is, what he, he, this is the passage he chose to speak on. He pulled out the scroll of Isaiah, and he read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. It's actually a lengthier passage than that. We don't have enough time for all of it. But then he took the scroll, it says, he rolled it up, he sat down, and he began his teaching by saying this, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What he was doing in that was he was making an outlandish claim. Because the prophet Isaiah, that passage was a messianic prophecy that was talking about God's anointed coming, and he was going to set up God's kingdom. And so when Jesus reads this out loud, puts it down, sits down and says, that scripture has now been fulfilled as you've heard me speak it. He was making a claim to be God's anointed, God's Messiah. And the people knew what he was saying, and they reacted strongly. Some of them were fascinated at what he was teaching. Others said, who does he think he is? This is just Jesus. I remember him running around here like a little kid. I babysat him. You know, who does he think he is? Others were so furious about it. It says they drove him out to the edge of town. And the, 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 the town was actually on a hillside on a cliff. They wanted to throw him over the cliff for making such an audacious claim. It says he just walked right through the middle of the mob. No one laid a hand on him. They understood what he was saying. They understood the claim he was making. And they rebelled against it. And over the following three years, he spent his time backing up that claim by his works. If you go through the Gospels, all four of them, you can find at least, at minimum, 29 separate miracles that he performed during his three years of ministry here. And, and oftentimes, he was challenged by the Pharisees, those religious leaders that we talked about last week. One of them was because, often it was because he was healing somebody on the Sabbath. And they said, you shouldn't be working on the Sabbath. Here's what Jesus said to them. My father is always at work to this very day. And I, too, am working. In other words, I have authority over the Sabbath. And the work that I'm doing is God's work. So it's okay. Now understand, the miracles that he performed, this was not like some traveling sideshow. Okay, this wasn't David Blaine street magic kind of stuff. Okay, what he did was he performed real miracles, life-transforming miracles. And he did every miracle that he performed had a reason. It had a purpose. It had a meaning behind it. Sometimes the miracles that he did were, were evidence of his divine power. When he would cast out demons, he was proving that he had the power over Satan and all of his minions. When, when, he, when he calmed the storm and his disciples said, who is this man that even the wind and the seas obey him? He was demonstrating his divine power. Sometimes, sometimes his miracles were, were to encourage faith. There's one account where there was a father who comes to Jesus. His son has been demon-possessed and he's just been... just torn up over the whole thing. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you can, would you come and heal my son? Jesus says to him, if I can, all things are possible to him who believes. And the father says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. 
Jesus said, go, your son is healed. He used that miracle to encourage somebody who was struggling in their faith. See, there was purpose and meaning behind every one of them. Sometimes they were object lessons for his disciples. Uh, on a couple of occasions, he, he fed crowds of people. There was one occasion he fed 5,000 people. He had been teaching all day long. People had gathered. It got, was getting close to dinner time, and his disciples came to Jesus and said, you got to stop teaching. you got to send people home because it's, it's almost dinner time, and we don't have enough food to feed everybody. Jesus turned to them and said, you feed them. <laughs> okay, how are we going to do that, okay? We kind of took a poll. All we got is a sack lunch here. Some little kid, he brought, you know, a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. How's that going to feed 5,000 people? He said, you have people sit down, you bring it to me. And they started breaking it and passing it out to his disciples. And they went and started passing it out to people. 5,000 people were fed with leftovers. And he used that miracle to not only feed people, but to teach his disciples. And he used it as a teaching moment because on the heels of that, he said, now I want you to know, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will not go hungry. He used the miracles to provide different things at different times. Sometimes it was the confirmation that he was indeed the Messiah. John the Baptist kind of ran afoul with King Herod and got thrown into jail. And as John is languishing in jail, he hears a little bit about what's happening now with Jesus. And so he sends some of his, his disciples over to ask Jesus, are you who I thought you were? Are you the Messiah? Or should we be looking for somebody else? And Jesus said to the uh, disciples of John, he says, you go back and you tell John, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. And he, and he goes back and he actually recites all of the things that he claimed back in that Isaiah scripture. You go, you, let, let, you go let John know everything that was prophesied is coming true. Claimed to be doing God's work. When he was challenged by the religious leaders. There's another occasion where um, actually he was in a home and there were so many people crowded around. The every, place was jam-packed. People were standing outside looking in the windows. But there were these guys who had a friend who was a paralytic. He was paralyzed, and so they couldn't get into the house. They actually went up on the roof, tore a hole in the roof, and laid, you know, let the guy down in the middle where Jesus was standing. I don't know who paid for that roof repair, but, but that's what they did. And, and when Jesus saw this man come laid down you know, from the ceiling, come right down in front of him, he stops everything. He turns to the man laying on the mat, the, the paralytic, and he says to him, your sins are forgiven. Everybody around goes, what? <laughs> What? First of all, what's up with that? Secondly, your sins are forgiven. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus' answer to them was this. He said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He used a miracle to affirm that he had the authority to forgive sin. <laughs> See, he claimed to be doing God's work, but he did it. He did it with meaning and with purpose. So again, we come back to, to the three options that C.S. Lewis gave us. Either he is a liar, and this was an elaborate hoax, but then you got to ask yourself, to what end? How would he have benefited for it, from it? Um, back in the 70s, there was a guy named Yuri Geller. Some of you old baby boomers, you might remember this guy. Anybody remember Yuri Geller? Okay. He claimed to be able to bend spoons with his mind. Okay, that he had this ESP power. Uh, there was actually a guy named the Amazing Randy who went around, followed him, and debunked everything that he was doing. Yuri Geller made millions of dollars bending spoons. There was something in it for him. 
It was a hoax. He got disproven. But he made millions of dollars in the meantime. You got to ask yourself, if Jesus is pulling off this hoax, how did he benefit? Did he get a million dollars? No. <laughs> did he live a life of comfort and ease? Absolutely not. He ended up crucified on a cross. So you got to kind of ask yourself, if this was one big elaborate hoax, how did he benefit? Why would he do such a thing? Okay, well, then maybe he is that lunatic. But every time he performed a miracle, any time he got engaged with the religious leaders, he carried on rational debate with them. He wasn't some crazy rambling idiot. He made sense with them. So it seems to me you come back to this third option. His Lord, he is who he said he is. And that his work here on this earth had a purpose. The miracles were all a part of his bringing God's kingdom to bear. As, as he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And he showed us a glimpse of what that would look like to bring a little bit of up there down here. And then ultimately on the cross, he completed God's work in an act of self-sacrificing love. But that is not the most outrageous claim he made. The most outrageous claim he made was he claimed to be God's equal. He claimed, in other words, to be God. Now, a lot of people have said and debated this over the last 2,000 years. Well, no, he didn't never really make that claim. That's just something that his disciples afterwards kind of embellished everything. But if you read his words and what he said, there's no escaping the claim that he was making. He called himself the Son of Man, which was a direct reference to God's anointed. He called himself the Son of God. And most directly in John's gospel, you find a series of I am sayings. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Every one of those I am sayings are rich with meaning because that little phrase, I am, that is the name by which God revealed himself to Moses from the burning bush. When God called Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt, uh, Moses said to him, Lord, who should I say sent me? And God's answer to him was, you tell them, I am sent you. I am who I am. That I am was a direct reference to God himself. And when Jesus uses I am over and over and again, he is making the claim to be equal to God. In fact, one time he was challenged on the whole thing. And and he said, are you saying that you're greater than our father Abraham? It's our father Abraham who gave us this understanding of God. It's our father Abraham who launched out in faith. Are you telling us you are greater than Abraham? This is what Jesus said. I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. I am. Literally translated, said, before Abraham came into being, (laughs) I am. Present tense. Not I was, I am. It's a direct reference to that equality with God. And they knew exactly what he was saying. And they continued to challenge him on it. Are you saying this? Is this what you're saying? Are you trying to tell us this? This is what he said. I and the Father are one. And when he said that, they understood what he was saying. It says they picked up stones. They were ready to stone him right then and there. And he said, wait a minute. Are you going to stone me for all the good things that I've done? And they said, no, we're not stoning you for any of these, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. They knew what he was claiming. That's why they reacted so strongly. And when he was arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin and put on trial with the death sentence pending, 
If there was ever a time to clear up any kind of confusion or misunderstanding, this would have been it. Because if you answer wrong at this stage, you're sealing your own death warrant. And so they said to him, are you then the son of God? And he replied, you are right in saying I am. If there was ever a chance, if it ever a, a, a absolute necessity to clarify whatever misunderstanding there might have been, this would have been the time. This is where you would say, whoa, 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 whoa. I think what we have here is a failure to communicate, okay? That's, that's not exactly what I meant. I know that's what some people heard, but that's not what I was saying, and that's not what I meant. No. You made it very, very clear. That is the truth about my claim. I am what you've said I am. He was making it very, very clear. He did not back down. When his life was on the line, he did not back down for his claim. So we're back to C.S. Lewis again. Either he is a liar, and this is a diabolical deception right from the pit of hell to just destroy humanity with a false teaching, or he's a lunatic, a madman. Maybe he truly believed these things and, and, and was... And, and very sincere in all of it, but just completely delusional. Or, as C.S. Lewis says, he's Lord. He is who he said he was. He did what he said he was doing. C.S. Lewis sums it up this way. says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was really a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. You bow your heads with me. See, it really comes down to that question. Who do you say he is? Leonard Sweet and Frank Viola wrote a book called The Jesus Manifesto. This is what they wrote. What is Christianity? It is Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. Christianity is not an ideology or a philosophy. Jesus Christ is the main event. He, not the ethical teachings he delivered, is the end goal. Christianity centers not on points, principles, and propositions, but on a person. So let me ask you, who do you say he is? Maybe you're here and you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus. But the truth is, you tend to kind of pick and choose the parts about him you want to follow. You kind of try to push off those things that make you uncomfortable. If he's who he said he was, and if you said, yes, I believe that, 
then that means the only logical conclusion is that we would obey what he taught us, that we would trust him as he instructed, and that we would follow him with all of our hearts. Then maybe you're here today, and you find yourself at one of those crossroads because you've been struggling with something, and you know what the right thing is to do. You know what you're supposed to do. You know how you're supposed to react. You know what you're, how you're supposed to behave, but you're resisting it. Maybe today it comes down to the point that you're going to surrender and just say, you know what? I'm tired of fighting this. I'm tired of fighting this. God, not my will, but yours be done. Now, I know that's not an easy admission to make, and I know that's not an easy decision to follow through on, but if you're here today and there's something going on in your life and you've been resisting what God's been trying to tell you and you know the direction you're supposed to go, are you willing today to say, I give up. I'm going to stop fighting you. I'm going to trust that your way is the right way, that your truth is truth, and I'm going to do it the way you're telling me to do it. And that's where you're at. I would love to pray for you this morning before we close because I know that's not an easy decision. It's not an easy admission, and I know it's not something you can do on your own. But if you're here today and you're willing to say, I give up, I'm going to do it your way, God. Could I pray for you? Just raise your hand. Hold it up for a moment. When you do, actually look up and catch my eye because I want to see that I see you and acknowledge you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe you're here and you're still in that deciding process. And maybe you're, you're, you're not convinced, but here's what I would ask you to do. If you're serious about this, and I encourage you to get serious about it, would you at least make a decision today to say, you know what, I'm not just going to kind of shine this on. I'm going to keep investigating. I'm going to find out who this Jesus is and how I need to respond to him. And maybe you're not ready to put your faith and trust in him, but I'm going to ask you to at least make a commitment today to say, I'm going I'm to start moving in that direction at least. I'm going to find out more. And that describes you and you're willing to say, okay, I'm not ready to buy in wholeheartedly, but, but I'm ready to keep moving in that direction and find out more. I'd love to pray for you as well. Same thing. Would you just raise your hand? Hold it up for a moment. All right. Yeah. 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 And lastly, maybe you're here. Maybe you're here. And God has been dealing with you and you've been resisting and you've been struggling, but you know deep down what it really takes is it's time for the very first time to let go and trust him. And, and all you do is you just need to admit your need. You admit your faults, your failures, your struggles, your sin, and you say, God, I can't fix this on my own. Would you not only forgive me, but would you put your life in me? I'm going to trust you. Lead me in a new way. And for you, it's a very first step of faith today. But you're willing to take that step. Make a commitment in his direction. Same thing. Just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. God has an unbelievable life for you. He loves you just the way that you are. He gave his one and only son so that you could know him and live in that relationship. So we're going to close in a word of prayer. And whether it's a first-time decision for you or a reaffirmation of a decision you made long ago or a point of turning and 
quitting of resisting him and choosing to follow him, I'm going to invite you to make this your prayer. Lord, here I am with my struggles, my doubts, my fears, my failures, my mistakes, my sin. And I can't change myself. I can't fix myself. I know that well enough now. And maybe I've been resisting you for a long time, or maybe I've just been coming to that point where it's time to decide. But for every one of us who raised our hands today, we're just saying, God, would you take me just the way that I am? And because of what you did for me on the cross, by your death, would you give me life? Would you forgive me of my sin, of my past? Would you put your life within me? And would you teach me from here on out how to follow you? I am turning the controls over to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. You